You're listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. This episode features a roundtable discussion on the ABCs of cybersecurity. NYSAG hosted this webinar to help elected local leaders understand what to prioritize and where to focus limited resources to protect residents and government systems against cyber threats. NYSAC's Deputy Director, Mark Levine, is joined by Justin DePalmo, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at General Dynamics Information Technology, and Dr. John Salen, Director of Cyber Solutions for GDIT Defense Division. First A for the ABCs of, of cybersecurity is asset management. So what are we talking about when we talk about assets? Now, this question is for both of you, but let's start with Justin. Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about assets, it can be anywhere from the workstation you're joining on today, the mobile device that you have to get company email or maybe personal, uh, internet of things as well, right? As we continue to evolve some of those access to have convenience and even cloud resources, it's essentially anything where your company or your data could be at risk or pose an overall risk and something that you need to patch from a vulnerability management perspective as well, including all of that or something that would make up your overall asset management, at least from an IT perspective. And Dr. Salen. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think um, Justin made, brought up a, an interesting point that I, I don't wanna let go, which is this, this expansion of internet of things. Right. As as we look at our collection of stuff, we think about what's out there and we have to remember that there are devices that we wouldn't necessarily think of as traditional IT that is connected to our environment. I mean, in addition to working at GDIT, I also teach at a uh, university. And one of the things I have my students do is I have them run a network scan on their home network. And I have them come back to me and report, hey, did you find anything interesting? And invariably, someone, will, one of my students will come back to me and say, oh, I, I didn't realize I had three networked TVs, smart TVs on my, in my home network. One student even told me about a light bulb that his brother installed in a lamp that happened to be web enabled uh, that he had no idea was hanging out there, right? So these kinds of things pop up, but it's really important for us to understand the totality of our stuff that's connected in our environment, because that's how we make decisions about how we protect it. You know, if we go back to, like I was saying before, this is all about, you know, this is no different from how we treat our physical assets. If, if your house was on fire, you, you probably have a fair idea of the stuff you grab on the way out the door. Do you have that similar thought in mind if you're in the middle of a denial of service attack or a ransomware exploit, do you know which of your systems are the most critical to your business? And you can't until you've at least started with the question, what stuff do I have? Yeah, that's great. And it brings me right to the next question. So this is uh, this is perfect because the next question is, is what do we have? So what is an asset inventory, uh, Justin, and why is it so important and what can it be used for? 
Yeah, and I think I think John just teed it up a little bit right there, right? It's all about risk management. You can't protect what you don't know you have. And when you do know you have it, you got to make sure that continuous protection is, is ongoing. So taking your master asset list, right, can be a collection of several data points overall. But if you come up with this master spreadsheet, it could be an Excel spreadsheet, could be some configuration management database, but you have to get a little bit more details in there if it's running this operating system, it's running this version or supported for this long as well, because as the vulnerability and threat landscapes kind of expand and continue to move rapidly, you may have to put mitigating or compensating controls or await that vendor patch to reduce that overall risk from this. So understanding what is in your organization, what you're responsible for is kind of key to that response because that time frame continues to become shorter and shorter that we have to address those threats. And what are the key elements of asset management and how do we track those assets? I mean, Dr. Salen, you, you mentioned your students in finding light bulbs on, on their network. So, uh, you know, how detailed is an asset inventory and, and how do we track all those assets along the way? So, so Justin brought up a good point, how we track those assets, what that master asset inventory looks like could be different for every organization. I have seen organizations that had very expensive, very comprehensive configuration management databases that were wildly inaccurate. I have similarly seen organizations that track it on a spreadsheet and you know they, they have a pretty good handle on what's out there. So it all boils down to a discovery you know, starts with discovery finding out what's out there and then documenting what you find once you've done that then it's important to assign an owner someone responsible for not necessarily owning the thing but owning the information about the thing Right, who is responsible for updating that spreadsheet, that list, that database, whatever it is, so that when you retire that piece of equipment and replace it with something new, or you upgrade it, or you just chuck it completely because you've moved on to some different system, who is gonna make sure that that asset inventory is updated and reflects the truth, the, the known truth about our environment. You know, one thing again that I've seen across a variety of organizations in commercial and, and government is that every chief information officer is absolutely convinced they know what's out there in their inventory and they have a good list. And every time they provide me a list, it's wrong. There's always at least a couple of things that they missed and that's okay as long as we continue justin had mentioned this continuous monitoring continuous updating that's critical right except that you're gonna get good enough to do your job to execute your mission and constantly try to update it over time and that will eventually get you there don't let the perfect be the enemy of good when you're trying to manage your assets yeah, great. And where do you, where do you put that inventory? Like, where do you store that inventory? And and this is kind of a trick question, but either one of you, 
where do you do you do you, uh, put that in your in your uh, in your PC or do you print that out? <laughs> Justin, you want to start? Uh, absolutely. I, I was waiting to see where this would go. So it's probably good to have something printed out for it just as well. If you're looking at one PC, right, we all know if anything's going to happen, hardware will, will certainly fail overall. Now, to protect that, as we'll move into that next subject here in a moment, but you also don't want your asset inventory out there for the threat actors to see as well, right? Because now you're giving them more of a targeted list. So protect it. Think of it as part of your overall sensitive data, but don't have just one single copy overall. Right, and if you if you're held ransom, if your system's held ransom, you won't be able to get access to the asset inventory. So, right. Well, that's that's actually a perfect a perfect example, Mark. I mean, a few years ago, when the NotPetya uh, ransomware exploit, you know, flooded the internet and and kind of took it by storm, there were companies that that came to their knees. Uh, Maersk Shipping, for instance was was devastated by it. The only thing that saved Maersk and allowed them to recover was the fact that one of their servers that had that master copy of the entire domain happened to get knocked offline right before the exploit made it to that domain. So they had that that offline copy, it wasn't printed, right? It was it was an offline computer system, but it was the same concept, right? It was completely offline and having some backup that's not connected to your network, whether it's a physical printed copy or a hard drive or something or saved a tape that you put in a fireproof safe somewhere uh, is, is definitely a good idea. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. That's asset management. So I'm taking questions along the way. Uh, so far, no questions from our uh, attendees. But as you get, as you as you hear something and have a question, please type those into your question panel on the GoToWebinar dashboard. So the second A in the ABCs of cybersecurity is access management. So when talking about managing access, what does this really mean? First, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. So where you're going to want to go with this, if there's a big takeaway you take from access management, deny by default, allow by exception. And that could be building firewall rules. That can be sharing a file out in general, right? You really want to trim and reduce that access. Uh, and when you give access, right, we need to evaluate what the sensitivity is of that data. Is it somebody that needs to access it with just a password? Maybe it's not that big of a deal, or maybe it's company sensitive or can contain social security numbers that may be required to be protected with multi-factor authentication, for example. So one of those items where I'm gonna use that kind of light bulb item that John's going through here, this weekend, I just put in a sprinkler system that is enabled on wireless. You know, years ago, oh my gosh, we wouldn't want to do that. But traveling more, I'm getting tired of messaging the wife and saying, hey, can you turn this on? Is it going to rain today or not? I'm never going to give her access to that sprinkler system because she doesn't know when she should or should not water the lawn. And that's how we can kind of protect our data as well. Does she need all this information related in here? Does this customer need it? Does this threat actor need it overall, right? Really reduce that risk, that attack surface, and overall kind of blast radius should that data be leaked. Right. We have a lot of employees at the county level and local governments have a lot of employees. So this is a major challenge, right? Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges for or our organizations to implement access management, Dr. Salem? I, I think 
The biggest challenge really is understanding the logic of how we want to allow access. So my background is primarily defense. I mean, in the defense department, we deal with classified information. And the, the classic kind of definition of do I have access to classified information is a combination of a few things. You know, have I been vetted? Do I have that security clearance checkbox that says, yay, verily, this person, you know, has been, we've checked their background and we will authorize them up to top secret information, say. But that doesn't necessarily mean I can access the data. I still have to have that plus an additional check of, do I have a valid need to know? Is it part of my job? Kind of to Justin's point about his wife not needing to know when to turn on or off the sprinkler system. So I'm just not gonna give her the, the, the information, not part of what she does. So I, it's not that I don't trust her, it's just that it's not part of what she needs to do. And that, even that is somewhat challenging as we saw from this recent, uh, this recent National Security leak uh, from this guardsman, um, um, uh, Jack uh, was Teixeira, I think is how his name is pronounced. Right? He was an IT administrator, but he had access because of his clearance and because he was the IT administrator of the network, he had access to all the data on the network. So that makes it challenging, right? Are we going to allow that? And and the Defense Department is going through some some additional thoughts of, well, does it really make sense for the IT person to have access to intelligence analysis data? That's not part of his job. Part of his job is to make sure the ones and zeros go where they need to go. So just really thinking through that, who should have access when and under what conditions, not at the individual level, but at the level of based on their job, based on their location, and then maybe based on some other things. Now you can get into some really interesting areas with more advanced levels of security because you can start to evaluate user behavior and now say, well, you know, John lives in Northern Virginia. Um, why all of a sudden is he trying to access, you know, these uh, server files from Kuala Lumpur? You know, that's odd behavior. It's not necessarily bad, it's just odd. So maybe we shut down access temporarily because John's credentials could be compromised. Somebody might be acting as if they were John. And, and once you have that logic tree of who and under what conditions should have access to what, then you can start implementing the technology to allow you to do some pretty cool stuff like that. But until the logic's there, the technology, it doesn't matter. And as a technologist, you can quote me on that. It's just you know. Yes, thank you very much. So where do we get that logic? Is there is there a, a, a model out there to, to look at or to should we be talking to people? What where can counties get that information? Yeah, you know, I think there there certainly are models, right? And models come to us from from laws and regulations and things like that. A good example, I was working for a, a county government doing some work for a county government once and we implemented a a data-driven access solution for their court for the county court system, and the courts came back and said, "Hey, this was great. Love what you did. We'd like you to do the same thing for the juvenile courts." And fortunately, 
when our engineers started working on it, I, I started asking some pointed questions about, well, can we do it this way? Because I think juvenile records are treated differently than adult records. Yes, in fact, they are. It's not exactly the same as security clearance, but it's sim it's a similar construct. So we we can get those rules like that from laws, regulations, and, and standards. But then the next step, and that, that should give us the initial framework, but then the next step is we should talk to our business owners, the people who own the data, and, and really just ask them this kind of data. Do you want everyone in the county to have access to this? Should this be a public record? Or should this be something that we keep within our own IT organization within county employees? Should all employees have access to it or should it just be a subset who work with it on a daily basis? And those kinds of questions can only happen at that business to business, at, at the business unit level. Great. Anything to add, uh, Justin, on access management before we move on to the Bs of ABCs? Yeah, and, and we'll kind of move back a little bit to asset management, right? The potential area is expanded, right? That data can now be hosted in some cloud infrastructure. It could be offloaded yeah. by a service provider, right? For when you stand up a new cloud, by default, it's generally secure. It's not until we go in and we start tweaking things to allow some of that access. And when we look at passwords, right? I have 300 and something various passwords across all the logins I've established over the past 15 years of working in General Dynamics plus personal. If you're not using some sort of vault for that, there's no way you can remember all of these passwords. So looking at future technologies to adapt to passwordless authentication, right? That is where we will need to head as an industry. Um, but we're not gonna be there anytime soon for those, but make aware that even with the advancements of AI right now, a weak password can essentially be cracked in a matter of moments, rely on that multi-factor authentication and really focus on that user behavior too, right? What's the user experience gonna be? If you talk to users, most of them will accept that to protect their personal finances, right? They may accept multi-factor to log into your bank, but we have a whole bunch of information and you all have a whole bunch of information you wanna keep protected as well. So if you put it in that same kind of logic, you'll get a little bit more of a user adoption as well. Great, great, thank you. Let me check on the questions here. Okay, let's move on to the Bs. What are the Bs of the ABCs of cybersecurity? It's business requirements, it's business continuity, it's the environment you're in, and the mission of county governments or local governments that you're working in. So this is, um, uh, can we talk about this? these business requirements as they relate to asset management, access management, uh, and, and get a little bit more understanding of the relationship between our mission as local governments and cybersecurity. I'll start with John and we'll move to Justin after that. Yeah, I, so this is one area where I, I firmly believe we spend probably too little time looking at, which is how, what is the business value or the mission value of cybersecurity? How does cybersecurity help us execute our mission at a fundamental level? You know, when we think about cybersecurity, uh, we, we talk about the triad, the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the data we're trying to protect. 
And a lot of times I think people get hyper-focused on the C, the confidentiality piece of data. How do we keep it safe? How do we keep you know, hackers from getting access to it? But it's equally important in many cases to keep that data and make it available to the mission owners so that they can make those decisions on a daily basis and that the data are what they say they what we, you know what what we expect them to be that they have that level of integrity so when we think about cybersecurity and the mission value we really have to think about what is it we're trying to accomplish and then look at our data and say well what is it how do we process it how do we handle it and and what protections do we need are we more worried about the integrity of the data or that it's available when we need it or are we really worried about someone getting access to it and then posting it on the dark web for sale? And the answer might be different for different business areas. One business area might be more worried about protecting data from getting out into, into the wild, where others are more concerned with, well, we need this data to make it available. And that might be something to, you know, something that you may turn into like a, a, a state or a county level version of a data.gov where you want to publish that data, make it publicly available so other people can use it and, and affect the overall community mission. So how you treat the cybersecurity controls, the, the locks and the checks that you put in place and how you manage access to those data assets is really gonna be driven by what the overall business need is what are you trying to accomplish and and again it's super important that we recognize that one size does not fit all the answer will be different within each county among different business units within the county organization because of the nature of the data they're using that's right. And when we're saying business units, it's departments, right? And and our departments have different units within those those departments. So and each of those could have, you know, a, a different mission or day to day activities that they have to be concerned about. Just That's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah and, and there's a big takeaway that, you know, it's cliche for the saying, but cybersecurity is a team sport, right? We have to be partnered with the business. The business has to be partnered with us over the last five to 10 years. Right. Cyber is now a business risk, just as much as a supply chain risk, just as much as a legal risk. Right. We all have to be talking together and no longer be that group of, well, they blocked my Web page. Right. Or they stopped this email from coming in. That That's our jobs. But in the same sense, we shouldn't just remain transparent anymore. Right. We should be enabling and driving those business and reducing those risks where we can't. Right. We'll never get rid of all of them. But that's part of being partnership with the, the business overall for those and really driving that awareness, right? And we have to break it down to that business level. If we're talking about, hey, this computer is not working over here, right? But the computer with the finance information is the one that's not working over here. Now we're talking on a business level overall. So it's really a challenge of a cybersecurity leads and programs to move away from just saying no all the time without justifying it to educating users on their risks, not just in their organization, their divisions, but how does impacts of their home networks or working from home or hybrid post COVID have an impact potentially for the work that they're doing for an organization? Right, and this work, this uh, exploration or discussion about the, the, the 
the business requirements or the mission of each department and unit, they can feed into the development of, and they should actually feed into the development of, of a county's uh, continuity of operations plan, right? So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how does you, how can that a county leader have that, foster that conversation to help build the, the, the COOP, the co continuity of operations plan? Sorry, Mark. Was that question for me, or is that for either one? Either, either, and, and I know I'm going a little bit uh, beyond the ABCs, but you know the business requirements do feed yeah. into the the coop plan. Yeah, and and again, the, we tailor back to where we start from the asset inventory. When you look at business continuity, disaster recovery. Where is that most critical data that you need to restore and get back in order? You know, when we look at recovery time objectives, on paper, it may look good of, eh, we can live without email for 30 days. I will tell you from experience, if email goes down, executives are running to you within the first 10 to 15 minutes of saying, I can't get an email, I was waiting for this, right? So that tailors back to knowing what you have out there, how quickly it needs to be recovered in partnership with the business and making sure that even from an incident response perspective, planned or unplanned, go through those motions, do that muscle memory exercise of, if this happened here, this is the out of band conversation we're gonna shift to, to make sure we're contingent on our operations going forward. Yeah, I've I've done a, a lot of interesting missions in in my career that are driven by continuity of operations, uh, particularly supporting the military. And uh, you know, you'd be surprised how important. You know, it's, it's it's easy to say, you know, from Justin mentions email and how critical email is. And yeah, absolutely. If email goes down, everybody freaks out. Uh, just like if access, you know, if, if access to the internet goes down, everyone's going to freak out initially. But even in natural disaster areas, basic communications like email and chat are surprisingly high priority items because that's how you get information out there. Uh, and I've dealt with humanitarian assistance, disaster recovery operations, you know, with with joint task force with the with FEMA and the military. And in those situations, you're dealing with federal agencies, you're dealing with state and local agencies as well, the local hospitals, the first responders, and understanding the priority of data in which systems are most critical under which continuity of operations conditions is really important. So again, just asking those questions that are driven by the business goal, by the business mission, what has to work? And that might also have a time, a, a, a time bounding element. There are certain periods of time when your payroll system is absolutely your most critical because if you can't run payroll for that two day batch job because of some outage, well, a lot of people, the entire, you know, you, everybody in the county doesn't get paid. And that's a bigger problem, frankly, that may be a bigger problem than whether email is up and running. So that there's also that temporal consideration that you have to think about. Yeah, great. Again, every every department, every unit has a little bit of a different mission to it on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis. So now we want to move into the fourth area of focus, the C of the ABCs of cybersecurity. 
and that's cybersecurity training. What kind of topics should we focus on when we're thinking about training our employees on cybersecurity? So I'm going to start with this, if that's all right, Justin. I, I think the answer is it depends heavily on the individual and the role that they're, they're, they're fulfilling. Justin had mentioned that cybersecurity is a team sport, and that's absolutely true. And there's a certain level of awareness training that we all need to have. You know, how do we do basic cyber hygiene topics like resetting the default passwords on all of our internet enabled things, right? Our light bulbs and our smart TVs and, and our wireless routers and things like that. And that's important, especially in a post-COVID world where we are more often working from home across the board. And there are documented incidents of nation state actors who are actively targeting small office, home office networks, not so much because they think there's a lot of really good stuff on those networks, it's because they know that's an initial entry point to getting into potentially more hardened networks by hopping from that, that home office, which might be of some lower degree of cybersecurity, and then lucking out and infecting somebody's uh, corporate laptop that they then bring and introduce physically into a more hardened environment. So that, that certain level of basic awareness, super critical. And then, have a cybersecurity for managers. You know, here is the operational mission. Here's how I make cybersecurity make sense for my mission kind of set of training. And then another set of training for my, for my technologists. And in the technologist side, I gotta say, you're never done. There's no way you can get your head wrapped around the totality of the technical training that's out there related to cybersecurity. Um, I am, a lifelong learner. I, I, I'm sure, Justin, you'd agree with that, that you are as well. And, and we're always looking for how do we expand our skill sets. And that should be something that we think about encouraging with our, with our staff, especially the technical staff. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're also having to keep up with uh, the people we're trying to protect our counties from, right? And they're, they're moving yeah. and they're getting more and more sophisticated on a day-to-day -day basis. So well said and, and uh, I'm a little scared. But uh, <laughs> Justin, you want to add anything to the, the uh, training? cyber training yeah i mean john covered a lot of great fantastic points there right we'll talk about the post covid era but right even as things started to shut down we saw a lot of exchanging of security for convenience right folks rushing out to do zoom right signing up for their home subscription or something on a team's perspective whatever flavor of what it was right we had folks joining facetime calls just so they can have conversations even though we were watching what was happening in the world, right? We didn't have time to protect ourselves and move at a rapid pace as fast as COVID had shut us down for that. So a lot of lessons learned from there. And it really boils down to, right, where can we start with that basic level of training? John kind of covered that as well. So that folks are also protecting their personal lives because then they are more 
moving towards actually applying those same kind of principles in the business, right, as well. If you tell somebody that, hey, if you're doing a Zoom session with your family, for example, you probably don't want to have your kids running around in the background, right, coming out of the swimming pool, right? Same thing if you're doing a work meeting, that same concept applies for that. And if we do the same with password security, multi-factor authentication, right, they just take these concepts and kind of bring them forward here. And then when we look at role-based training, right, I completely agree, lifelong learner. I've started with stuff in my, my desk here and moved to cloud and it just continues to evolve overall. So that level of aspect for those technologists, right, they need to continue to be up to speed of what is out there because our adversaries know this stuff very well, right? So going out to get certifications, degrees and all that, that's fantastic. Just know that our adversaries are doing the same thing and sometimes they don't even need to have a degree to show how sophisticated they are with the amount of resources there. So that's really that high level of what our cyber network defenders need to understand that if you think you're secured now, that is gonna change tomorrow overall. So stay vigilant, remain vigilant. So should there be standards for roles and functions? I think you touched a little bit on this. And you know, when, when I hear cybersecurity training, you know, we do fishing exercises at, at NISAC, right? And I know counties also uh, do fishing and, and as a way to train employees what to look for, what not to click on. But beyond that, should there be some standards that we're all trying to follow? So it'd be difficult to find those standards. You're going to have to look at organization size. Some of it's going to be just on metrics and trends that you may be tracking from items that you're already blocking or not blocking overall. And that's going to be dynamic, right? We see those shifts here on a quarterly basis. So we're putting blocks over on this area and the attackers, for example, are going to move towards out of band communication on tool sets such as WhatsApp or LinkedIn, right? To build that conversation. Your cyber network defenders, they don't have eyes on that. So we can spend all we want on phishing protections coming in the organization, which I recommend we still do, but you really have to get some of that education out to the users, but it's really based on what your attack surface is. So to put something as a prescription to say, hey, all of your folks must be trained on cloud that's not gonna to apply to every other organization because we have folks that can't move to the cloud, right? That still work in SCIFs for, for example. Um, so it really has to come down to a business need, making sure where that trending data is showing that data uh, and then adjust accordingly and be prepared to adjust again, right? <laughs> Just a quarter after that. Great. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the one thing I would recommend, uh, and I agree completely with Justin about the, the challenge of establishing, you know, of, of pointing to standards, is looking at particularly what some of our, uh, what, our what, what our federal government partners are, are out putting out there, specifically focused on organizations and individuals that don't have the resources available to the federal government, right? Uh, the, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, and FBI and and um, the and, and the National Security Agency, frankly, are all very active in posting information, webinars on some of the basics of cybersecurity because it is we you know it is very much a team sport, as as Justin uh, you know mentioned, 
and there are some really great things out there. For instance, CISA has this program called Shields Up, which is basically their general advisory services that, that anyone, even individuals, can tap into to learn how to better protect their home office, to learn how to you know, think about cybersecurity a little more differently. And, and making that stuff available to all of our you know, county employees and, and even possibly making some of that available to the citizen base, uh, to the community, it's not a bad idea because we're only as secure as that that one weak link i mean for for you know tolkien nerds like myself you know i think about the the dragon smog who had just one one scale missing on his underbelly right and 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 he got killed because the ranger was able to put an arrow through that one missing you know piece of his impenetrable scale armor and and that's all it takes is that one missing scale so anything we do to make everybody more cyber aware, I think is probably a good thing. And you both are helping Sorry. us do that today. So we appreciate that. So those are the ABCs, asset management, access management, business requirements, and cybersecurity training. And we have to continue to improve each and every day. So what are some of the top resources that we can use or that you use to keep up with the times and where can our county leaders go to learn more about partnering with appropriate resources to assist uh, with our governments as we continue to you know uh, uh, strengthen our protections against cyber threats that are out there I can start on one and John kind of hit it right there CISA has been doing a phenomenal job keeping up with current activity, releasing zero trust frameworks, releasing software supply chain, right? They are on top of the game and something we use heavily. We also partnership, at least with the general dynamics side, we have a general dynamics information sharing and analysis center, but it doesn't just stop there for us, right? We partner with the health ISAC, for example, and other entities across the defense industrial base to share that intelligence in near real time, right? Um, if you're sitting around potentially waiting for a resource or something to come out tomorrow, it's probably yesterday's intelligence, right? So gather those relationships, collaborate. And in some cases, it's easier to have, you know, back channel conversation groups of subject matter experts that's sharing that intelligence. I am one of those Twitter folks, not plugging Twitter or anything, but I follow several security threat researchers in there. And when something drops, right, that's our opportunity to get on it before the adversary does. Because again, those adversaries are really up to speed, if not already ahead of the game as well. There we go. Yeah, and, and that's a good point, Justin, you brought up about Twitter. You know, some of the non-traditional avenues for getting information from these organizations um, is, is important. The uh, the feeds uh, you know the feeds from National Security Agency and CISA and FBI they're all very active in publishing information on the fly to get the word out there and then let's also not forget you know standards organizations like like NIST the National Institute of Standards and Technology but then also the nonprofits right ISC squared and and others that are that are focused on cybersecurity. Again, there are, there are lots of, of resources and templates that are available. In most cases, 
uh, publicly available open source, you know, free, so that we don't, you know, because we're all trying to make ourselves more secure and, and better at organizing our, uh, our information. Great, and I'll plug uh, the New York State Association of Counties. We've got a webpage, uh, backslash cybersecurity, and we have reports out there on uh, the primer for local leaders, uh, the challenges of cyber insurance, uh, what is a tabletop exercise and how do I go about doing one? Those are all on yeah. our websites. Plus we have a, a, a series that this is now part of, of, of um, uh, cybersecurity webinars, and those are all recorded and available for, uh, any county official uh, to, to view at any time. So thank you gentlemen very much. Before we go, I wanna go each, to each of you. So we have local leaders here on, on this webinar. If you had to give them one or two pieces of advice here for the ABCs and, and what they could do today or tomorrow to help strengthen their, 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 their protections against cyber threats, what would that be? No, I can start if you, if you don't mind there. So I'm going to go with where we are from a C's, right? And it's really that cybersecurity training and know that the, the new generation that we have today, we're all learning differently. We should not wait just till October Cybersecurity Awareness Month and push out a 90-minute training and pretend that everyone's being focused on it. I think we need to be more tactful in the delivery at a quarterly, maybe monthly micro-learning basis. Figure out what kind of works for the organization, but move away from that other, you know, 92 hour training that would happen one time a year um, for that overall. In addition, right, if you take 300 folks in your organization, for example, and train them, you've now potentially created 300 different sensors, right, that are in a position of see something and say something overall. And that is something that the adversary will not have is the ability to scale that quickly to protect a single entity and organization. Yeah, and I think the thing that I would add to uh, to what Justin said is that cybersecurity is not just an IT problem, right? It it's usually falls on the IT organization to deliver most of the tools to execute cybersecurity, but the B in the ABCs, the business value, that's really what drives all of this because that's what's going to drive that risk-based decision that mental calculus of do I allow access to this individual to that type of data? You know, it's like, like I opened with, it's, it's no different from just asking yourself, how do I respond if, if John Salen walks up to you and says, dude, can I borrow your car? And that's all gonna be driven by the business. Great, great way to end. And, uh, and before we close down, we do have a, a nice comment from uh, one of our listeners today. Great presentation. Just wanted to point out that the New York State Annual Cybersecurity Conference is in Albany this June. It's free for local and uh, local government and county staff and offers sessions geared towards all. Uh, so, uh, you know, th this is it's a team sport, as you both mentioned today. And. Uh, and there are opportunities for all of us to be better prepared. So this is, uh, this is another way to do that. And thank you very much to GDIT uh, for your expertise here and for working with our counties on a day-to-day -day basis to help us protect our networks. And, uh, and then one last shout out to our sponsor too, um, 
and uh, and thank them, National uh, Business Technology, for uh, investing in and helping us put on these webinars. So thank you very much, gentlemen. Have a great day, everyone. All right. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Thanks Mike. for having us. Yep. This presentation is one in a series of cybersecurity-focused resources NISAC has partnered with other organizations to address the needs of local government officials. As usual, thank you for taking the time to tune in to this episode of County Conversations, and make sure to subscribe to stay up to date.